Thank you very much. Looking forward to that day when fears are gone and tears are past and we're all safe and blessed. Could be today. Could be today. First Peter chapter 4. Uh, if you maybe forgot your Bible at home or in the car and you don't have one on your device, our ushers are ready to hand you one if you just lift up your hand. see you from the back and give you a Bible to follow along with. Again, for those of you who are guests, we seek to um, cover one book of the Bible a year in the morning service. There's been, I think, twice in the 16 years that I've been the senior pastor here, we covered two smaller books in 12 months. Right now, we're studying the book of 2 Corinthians. We've taken just a few weeks here to look at another passage of scripture to encourage our hearts in relationship to the various crises that many of you are enduring in your own lives right now um, and in your own worlds, so to speak. And we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verse 7 through verse 11. And we're looking at uh, the church in crisis. What are the natural spirit-filled rhythms or activities of a church that's in crisis? Uh, what does she do uh, to keep her hearts directed unto the glory of God and the encouragement of each other uh, when they're enduring difficult times? And, uh, this morning, we're just going to look at one more of those opportunities, one more of those activities in relationship to how we stay encouraged um, as we endure difficulty. Again, if you've not been able to join us before, tells us that we're to, to live expectantly. That's the first line of verse 7, being part of that verse. Last time we were together, we discussed what it meant to forgive freely. Forgive freely. And this morning, I would like to continue on into verse 9, which is our fourth of five points in, these, in this small text. We just titled it several weeks ago, Be Available Willingly. Be Available Willingly. What do we do to encourage each other when the church is in personal or corporate crisis? Be hospitable to one another, verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. That's what we're going to study this morning. Be hospitable one another without complaint. A favorite author of mine, I wrote this down some time ago, said the ultimate act of hospitality was when Jesus Christ died for sinners to make everyone who believes a member of his household. We are no longer strangers or sojourners because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And isn't it wonderful to be welcomed as a stranger into his body, into his family? As adopted children of our Lord, as we have experienced the spiritual and divine hospitality that he offers, so we long to be hospitable to his children, many of whom we may not know at all. Hospitality was not foreign to God's people, both Old or New Testament throughout the ages. If you're writing 
in the margin of your Bible or maybe taking notes, it's, hi it's highlighted in the Pentateuch in Exodus chapter 22 and verse 21, Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 28 and 29. Jesus emphasized the giving of a cup of cold water, at least in his name. And certainly in Luke 14, you have the call of Christ to go out into the highways and byways of life and minister to the poor and the blind and the lame. Maybe bring them into your home, feed them. And God certainly honors those sacrifices. In a New Testament context, it's very clear. How do we demonstrate love in the body? Numerous ways. In Romans chapter 12, which is one of the four major gift texts in the New Testament, Romans chapter 12, in a context of expressing love to one another, Paul says in verse 13, show hospitality. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, it's actually a qualification of someone who has called himself an elder in the New Testament. There to be hospitable. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, it was also one of the qualifications listed if a widow indeed was to be taken on the roles of a church for that church to care for her practically. In other words, when she became a widow, and a widow indeed, which meant that there was no male living heir left to take care of her. And that's, of course, back in a culture where there's no Social Security, uh, no savings accounts, um, no investment 401k retirement accounts. Right? She's absolutely destitute. The church was to take that widow indeed and put her on their roles to be cared for. She had to be known as a person who had been hospitable. We're all familiar with Hebrews chapter 13. We're encouraged to be hospitable. So in times of crisis, hospitality becomes something uh, normal for the believer to continue, but can I say maybe a lot more necessary? Again, Old Testament, New Testament, hospitality is just something that believers enjoy. But it's mentioned here and within the context of why Peter writes to the diaspora and the churches throughout Asia and Asia Minor who are the most persecuted church in Christian history. It's one sentence. And it's not an option. It's not given here to us as something of a list of things we can choose or not to choose. It actually says here, be hospitable to one another. This is Again, in the flow of the context, if we're going to be expectant believers, verse 7, if we're going to be devoted believers, verse 7, if we're going to be forgiving believers, then we're going to be hospitable believers, and even so much more in a time of crisis. And the pronoun here is a pronoun that teaches us this is something that the Spirit of God leads you to do, it's not something you wait on somebody else to do for you. Okay. If you've been around Christianity for any amount of time, I grew up in a pastor's home. I've done my best to try to rear my children, love my wife in a pastor's home. You do hear often throughout the years, well, um, so-and-so has never invited me into their house. And, and so I'm just kind of disgruntled because I haven't, been loved properly and what Peter's saying here again in a time of crisis there's really no time to think about who hasn't invited you just get busy and be hospitable 
in the doing, can I say this? In the doing is the reciprocity. In the doing is the mutual sharing and the interdependent encouraging. That's why it's a present active imperative here. Just be hospitable. In 1882, a pastor wrote this about hospitality. Every home is an influence of blessing in the community where it stands. Its lights shine out. I know he's speaking to his people in relationship to Christian homes. Its lights shine out. Its songs ring out. Its spirit breathes out. The neighbors know whether it is hospitable or inhospitable, warm or cold, inviting or repelling. Some homes bless no lives outside their own circle. Others are perpetually pouring out sweetness and fragrance. The ideal Christian home is a far-reaching benediction. It sets its lamps in its windows, and while they give no less light and cheer to those within, they pour a little beam upon the gloom without, which may brighten some dark path and put a little cheer into the heart of some belated passerby. Its doors stand open to... You may not... You've heard of Airbnb? There are 5.6 million active Airbnb listings, listings throughout the world. As a matter of fact, there's 660,000 alone just in the United States. And that doesn't include Verbo and every other platform out there that you can find a safe place to rest your head. We live in a world where finding a nice, safe, affordable place to rest is quite easy. Add to that the features on your phone and the apps these places of hospitality develop. With all the pics and the descriptions, we're pretty spoiled with some incredible places to stay, whether on business or leisure. But we have to remember, when Peter writes this letter to the hurting people of Asia Minor, the ends of the day were limited, and quite frankly, there were places where most Christians would be uncomfortable staying because many of them were just places of ill repute. So Peter teaches, be hospitable to one another, as the text says, without complaint. Literally, the grammar says, it's plural. Practice many hospitalities and do so without complaint. So it's not a matter of just doing one time to try it out to see how it feels. Christians who are in crisis, who are strangers to you, they're probably going to need more than one time. And there are no safe places in this world for them to get on a phone and find a place of solace and protection. So this is literally what it means. So, understanding how it applies to us is interesting for sure. With the 10 minutes we have left, I'd like to indulge you in trying to figure out exactly what this does mean for us. Because it's really interesting. 
The implication is this. While hospitality is to be the norm of the Christian life, the more Christians live in crisis, the more mobile they'll be moving from place to place to find safe housing. You remember the Apostle Paul when they were seeking to kill him? If he escaped, he would. Do you remember? You know, the Lord Jesus Christ did the same thing. When it was not his time, when they pressed hard upon him to take his life and he knew it wasn't time for him to die yet, what did he do? He escaped. He found safe places to go. In First Peter, the saints at Asia and Asia Minor, they would have been doing the same thing. See, their jobs weren't secure. So therefore, their homes weren't secure. So where they were going to be from community to community probably was not secure. So these would have been believers moving from one community pressed out. And so they could protect themselves from actually being killed for their faith. They would press on to another community. And the first place they would go was try to find believers in that community. To find a safe place to worship. And a safe place to sleep. Believers would marry to area. The word does mean accepting. So how in the world do we have relatively unpressed and not in crisis? Well, let's just remind ourselves that there are some people who are just gifted to do this. I believe that hospitality is a spiritual gift of service in the New Testament local church. Not every believer has that gift. There are people in our church that have that gift And so you hearing this, you're probably cheering inside. Yes. Right? For those of us that don't have that gift, and I don't believe I do, it's more of a challenge for us to understand. For those of us that aren't gifted, the spiritual gift of hospitality, what do we do? Apparently, from what we see in the grammar, we're all involved, historically and then grammatically, we saw that. Well, there's not that many persecuted believers traveling into our area from within our country because they've lost their jobs and their homes and they're not looking for a place to lay their heads. So how can I really apply this text? I've never had anyone knock on my door. And quite frankly... I can't remember in 35 years of being a pastor here full-time and part-time ever one persecuted family even visiting our church because they had lost their job because of their faith and they've lost their home because of their faith and they were expunged from their community because of their faith. So how in the world do we apply this? By the way, there are believers that this is happening to in other parts of the world. For sure. But what do we do with this text when it's not part of our world? I'm confident that everyone here this morning, as far as I know you, if someone did knock on your door and they had papers in their pocket, proof of reference of salvation and persecution, right, and crisis in their life, and they needed food, clothing, and shelter, I'm confident everyone in this room would welcome them into their home. I know that. 
So I think we may understand now a little bit more about what hospitality is in the first century, how it's understood, and how necessary it was for these saints in crisis. And we realize it certainly underpinned the interdependent way in which the New Testament local church in Peter's time strengthened itself with hospitality. I'm sure it's happening in the world this way somewhere, somehow. So maybe we can explore this morning principally how this applies to our flock since it our culture doesn't exactly replicate the culture to which Peter writes. I think it's fair to say this. All of us do spend time with folks in our church that are similar to us in age. And I think that's natural. I think it's necessary. And I think it's natural. I think we all spend time among people in our church that may not be our exact age, but we spend time in fellowship groups that are just a little bit broader than our specific age. And I'm telling you, I think that's really good. And I think that's very necessary. Many of us outside our particular age and our little bit broader fellowship group, uh, maybe we're quite unfamiliar with the rest of the flock. As a matter of fact, I wonder if we took a poll here this morning, what percentage of the flock would you just not even know their names that are gathered here this morning? Maybe that's where we start in practicing hospitality. Maybe all of us, including me, we prayerfully consider, consider um, hosting people in our homes that we don't know that we worship with every week. And particularly, if we're going to really try to hang on to the context here, maybe we do so with people in our church who are in crisis that we don't know. We have them into our homes. You say, I don't know a lot of people here. I equally don't know who's in crisis here. Maybe you could prayerfully reach out to a pastor or a spiritual leader and they could provide a list of names for you of people you worship with every week that you're unfamiliar with who desperately need your care and your love in your own home. Because again, the imperative here teaches us that it's not just the people with the gift of hospitality that practice hospitality in crisis. Everyone needs to. A number of you, particularly those of you with the spiritual gift of hospitality, are always first in line when we have traveling missionaries or traveling church planters, just traveling believers coming through the area, all of whom are relatively unpersecuted. And you're first in line to say, I want them in my house. And we're so glad that you're there. They're glad that you're there. Recently, we had a disciple-making seminar here, and you hosted these folks, one from Puerto Rico, one from China, others from the different parts of the country, and those people were incredibly encouraged by you. 
And I know from your testimonies, you were incredibly encouraged by them. That has to happen. But for the rest of us that don't have the gift of hospitality, maybe the purest way to apply this in addition to what we just said inside the local body is to literally take strangers you've not even don't know their name, you've never seen their face before who are traveling and you can prayerfully say, well, maybe even if I don't have the gift of hospitality, maybe I can be in line to host one of these folks when they come through and I can be an encouragement to them. Consider practicing hospitality now. That's what Peter's saying. So when crisis does exponentially come to our doorstep and the thresholds of our lives or other believers that we're familiar with or even, according to the text, completely unfamiliar with, we'll be comfortable with the reality of helping those believers then. So begin to practice it now so we're more comfortable then. My parents had the gift of hospitality. I learned a lot from that gift when I was growing up in a pastor's home. In our home, hospitality was a way of life because they had the gift. My parents were ministry leaders in the practice of their gift of hospitality. They were on the cutting edge, if you will. They were the entrepreneurs if you will, of the local church, of what it meant to receive complete strangers into their home. And I had the privilege of being in the peanut gallery as a pastor's kid, listening, watching how more mature believers than I cared for each other, whether they were in a time of crisis or not. I saw my parents rejoice with complete strangers who are gospel partners. I saw my parents weep bitterly with complete strangers who are gospel partners. I saw my parents rejoice and empathize with people we had never hugged them before or personally greeted them before. And typically, the glory and the agony that they shared together was over the difficulty that it is to progress the gospel. I was reading a familiar author to many of you, C.S. Lewis, recently. He said, mental pain. I was thinking back to a kid watching my parents do this. Mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain. I texted this to some men in ministry here yesterday. Mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it is more common and also more hard to bear. The frequent attempt con to conceal mental pain increases the burden 
It is easier to say, my tooth is aching, than to say, my heart is broken. My parents knew that. Many of us in gospel partnership have grown to know the same. You understand what it means to uniquely bear the burdens of those in gospel ministry who are hurting. People that practice hospitality become very, very patient with the process of progressive sanctification in themselves and in other people. They truly know what it means to partner together. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 5, they were partners, they were koinonia in the gospel. So in the practice of hospitality, there's so much protection. There's so much revitalization. There's so much spirit-filled conversation about the glories and agonies of gospel ministry. And in its practice, there's also a renewal of, can I say, ministry confidence. Because God's grace is operational in the environment of hospitality. That's what our passage says. And it says we're to do so without complaint. Why add that? Well, my parents, as I said, were gifted with hospitality, and people that are gifted with hospitality typically don't complain about having to do it. But those who aren't gifted, like myself, it's very easy to complain. They showed up at my door, and my house isn't clean. Are you kidding me? <laughs> they showed up at my door, and my refrigerator, my shopping day's tomorrow. They showed up at my door, and there's laundry piled in the hallway. They showed up at my door, and they op I opened it, and they saw life. Can I just tell you, if I can take you back about 2,000 years ago to when they opened up a door and this time, what they saw? Many of us feel we've really endured some really, really rough crises in the last 20 months. And can I say, if we really had endured that kind of crises, I think we would have been knocking on each other's doors a whole lot more than we have. We really don't know crises like these folks knew crises. That's okay. That's a good, right? But while we prepare for what might be that inevitable time, as you are gifted, keep practicing that. As you are not gifted, start practicing that. And it does meet, mean meet with strangers. Accept strangers. So look around the flock. There's someone here that you don't know yet who needs your invitation. Because they're in crises. Be asked to be put on that list 
of complete strangers who come through here as gospel bearers to be that encouragement to them. If you're afraid your baby's going to cry through the night and they won't rest, it's okay. If you think you might burn the pot roast, it's okay. If you feel like your house just isn't what it's supposed to be, it's okay. What you learn in that moment of ministry is deeply profound. And in those hours, and in those hours spent with those people in that kind of an environment, spiritual growth is immense. It's immense. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the simplicity of this one sentence. In a time, Lord, when we experience crises, probably the greatest we've known it in our lifetime, even though it pales in comparison of lifetimes before us. I pray that you would teach me, O Lord, to obey this imperative and to do so without complaint. I pray, Lord, that developed at Grace Church of Mentor, mentor through practicing hospitality would be the galvanizing of our relationships in Jesus Christ together so that we would be interdependent blessings to those Christian strangers who come across our paths so that together with them we can be the greatest, strongest, most profound gospel influence in our culture and modern history. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.